Welcome to Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Facebook. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, Amazon shirks responsibility on facial recognition and growing oil demand that has nothing to do with gas. But first, impeachment. Okay, so this is a topic I have worked pretty hard to avoid on the podcast, mainly because it's often seemed like little more than a partisan fever dream that gets more attention on cable news than in the actual halls of Congress. But that is beginning to change, particularly as the White House keeps thumbing its nose at congressional subpoenas, plus President Trump's comments last week that seemed to invite foreign interference in U.S. elections. Simply put, the prospect of impeachment, or at least impeachment hearings, is realer today than at any other time in the Trump presidency, and no one quite knows how it would all play out. In fact, the only certainty is that it would create a lot more uncertainty, not only for politicians, but for U.S. and global businesses, which are already trying to navigate trade tweets and other geopolitical disputes that seemingly come out of thin air. And that uncertainty is being created not even so much by Trump's actions, but really because the Democrats themselves can't decide what to do. There are only around 60 Democrats in the House who are publicly on board with impeachment proceedings, including only around one third of the freshmen. It does keep growing. That number, it gets larger almost by the week, but so far hasn't been nearly enough for Speaker Pelosi to flip the switch, which either is political realism or political cowardice, depending on your point of view. The bottom line, a modern Congress has never tried to impeach a sitting president who is running for re-election. So we really don't know the consequences here. And that in itself is enough to have people on edge. In 10 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios political reporter Elena Treen. But first, this. We've all seen online ads that seem perfectly tailored to us. And now we have better ways to learn how this works. Visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. We're joined now by Axios political reporter Elena Treen. You did two things over the weekend. You had an HBO piece which kind of talked to a bunch of different Democrats in Congress. But on the website, you also dove in specifically on the freshman Democrats and how they're feeling about impeachment. Why are the freshmen so important? That freshman story, we had analyzed them in a report in January. So when the new freshman Democrats were sworn in, I think a lot of people thought that they were going to be super progressive, especially after the midterm elections and big voices like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Rashida Tlaib. So in January I did that survey, I found that only six of the freshman class Democrats in the House supported impeachment. And so I wanted to see what happened after the Mueller report, whereas most people said they wanted to wait and see what the investigation had found. And it turned out most of the results were actually largely unchanged. About 40 of the 64 freshman Democrats said that they still want to see investigations continue in the House before making a determination. And the number of those supporting impeachment ticked up to 13. Are they waiting for some sort of smoking gun or hoping that there could be a smoking gun? In other words, they don't want to put their credibility on the line until they've got something absolutely solid. Is that kind of where their head's at? That's a part of it. From a lot of the conversations I've had with them, I think it's more so the timing of it. So yes, they are waiting to see if there's any real tangible evidence. A lot of members point back to Nixon and how they had the tapes, and that's why the public was able to kind of come along and accept that Nixon had to be impeached. Here, there really isn't that evidence yet, or at least in their eyes, not, like you said, some sort of smoking gun. But I also think it's the timing of it. A lot of people are worried, you know, the election is um, just a year and a half-ish away now. Some people 
people think, is it better to just let the voters decide? And so it's really interesting to see where they all fall. Speaking of that, I mean, the election's a year and a half away. These folks have to, you know, being elected every two years. So this should be early in their term. But you point out that kind of a third of the new Democrats, a third of the freshmen, one in districts that Trump had won in 2016. How much of it do you get a sense is fear of blowback, a realization that I won my district, but it's on a razor's edge? There is definitely a sense of that. And you get that when you speak to the members in some of the redder districts, or like you said, the ones that the president won in 2016. And for that HBO segment, we talked to members outside of the freshman class as well. We talked to some of the key members on the different committees investigating the president. And there was a really interesting divide there. What a lot of members, almost every member that we spoke with said was that the party is, or at least the caucus, is united in the sense that we think this president is unfit for office. We want to remove him, but they're not in agreement on the tactics. And so where a lot of members felt we have a moral obligation to impeach this president, it doesn't matter what the politics are of it. If he needs to be removed, that is our duty, and voters elected us to make those decisions and to represent them. Then there's another part of the party that is really worried about the political implications. They're not ready to risk what may happen in 2020, and they recognize that bringing up impeachment when the public isn't ready for for it could be detrimental to them. Obviously, she can feel pressure from her caucus, but is this ultimately just Nancy Pelosi's call? At the moment, yes, but I don't think ultimately, I think it really does depend if enough rank and file members rise up. And it does seem in the conversations that we've had with these members, the number's only going up for those calling for impeachment. If the number does rise up enough where she's really pressured to address it, that could really tip the scale for her. Conventional wisdom here is that if Democrats launched impeachment hearings and if they actually got the votes and voted to impeach in the House, that the thing would still be DOA in the Senate. It's a Republican, Mitch McConnell-controlled Senate. Yes. Is, for those who are supporting impeachment, impeachment hearings. Are there any who believe, you know what, this could be like the Nixon tapes and the Nixon hearings and that something will come out which is so overwhelming, which is so indisputable that even the GOP Senate would actually vote to impeach the president? Or is the belief this is purely playing for the voters in 2020? A lot of members do think that if there is something that could be found, there will be more people like uh, Congressman Justin Amash. He's the one Republican who's been very vocal about impeachment. And quasi-excommunicated from his party, correct? I mean, as part of this. Yes. I mean, and he's a founding member of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus. And so, yes, he's been chastised by a lot of people in his party, especially members in that caucus. But there is a belief that a lot of Republicans in the Senate may join on if they can find concrete evidence that really proves whether it's the president obstructed justice or whether it's something really damaging that hasn't come to light yet. But a lot of people are also very skeptical of that. So it's a mix. I think more so the people who are pro-impeachment now kind of recognize that it will be death on arrival in the Senate, but they feel like they have that moral obligation to move forward with impeachment proceedings, whereas others, even very liberal members of the Democratic Party, we talked with the delegate from D.C., Eleanor Holmes Morton. She said, I'm very liberal. I recognize that some of the members and people I represent aren't in line with my position on this, but she really thinks that it's ridiculous to even think about impeachment because it would be dead on arrival in the Senate. And so there is that tension, I think, in the party with these different driving factors. Is there a drop dead, if not a specific date, kind of a general timeline? In other words, that for whether it be Pelosi or others in leadership, because you do have the elections next year, you, you don't want ongoing, I think you don't want ongoing impeachment investigation, you know, going to the conventions next year. Is there a sense we either have to start it by X date 
or we're just not doing it? There's also disagreement on that. So a lot of members think that uh, if you're going to do this, we spoke with Congressman Rokana and uh, Jamie Raskin. They said, if this is going to happen, it has to happen in 2019. We can't push it off till 2020 in the election year. That just risks too much politicalization. And they worry, you know, really disenchanting voters ahead of 2020. But then there's people who say, you know, you have to put aside the politics of it. And if you're really operating as a member of Congress, you swore an oath into office, then the calendar shouldn't matter. And so, again, I think that the politics of it versus that that moral obligation that members are feeling is really where the real divide is. This is totally unfair to you, but I'm going to ask on a scale of one <sighs> to 10, 10 being, yep, they start impeachment hearings. What's the likelihood that there will be impeachment hearings before this Congress is over? The likelihood. I mean, uh, I, I, the HBO segment was with my colleague, Nicholas Johnson. He's full on believes that they are going to launch at the minimum an inquiry. I'm a little bit more skeptical on the timing, but I think that there's, I'd say, I'd say maybe a 4.5 out of 10 chance. Elena Treen, thanks so much for joining us. My final two right after this. So about those online ads, one way it works is advertisers look for categories of people with similar characteristics, like millennials who like hiking gear. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Amazon Chief Technology Officer Werner Vogels, who tells the BBC that it's not his company's responsibility to determine what its facial recognition technology should and shouldn't be used for. Instead, he puts the onus on regulators and quote unquote society. Now we've discussed before here how facial recognition tech is viewed by many as a Pandora's box for civil liberties, particularly with how it's been used in China. But Vogel seems unconcerned, comparing such software to steel, which sometimes is used to make baby incubators and sometimes used to make guns. And finally, most of the political and environmental discourse around oil involves gasoline or other types of vehicle fuels. But the fastest growing use is petrochemicals, which is what's used in plastics. In fact, petrochemicals accounted for half the growth in global oil demand last year, according to BP, with expectations that it could rise to 70 percent by 2040. So just last week, ExxonMobil and a Saudi Arabian company got final approvals to build a massive factory in Texas for the production of ethane, which is the most common North American feedstock for plastics. And that's on top of seven other new petrochemical plants that have come online in the U.S. since early 2017, with a couple of others expected this year. Why it matters is that plastics create their own environmental and health catastrophes. Just go to YouTube and type in plastics and ocean, or check out this past weekend's Axios deep dive called Planet Plastic. The question now is how countries, particularly the U.S., will balance the desire for petrochemical jobs with the desire for clean water, or if they will. The key may be better plastic recycling technologies by the oil companies themselves, likely driven by regulatory pressure. In the meantime, our collective addiction to plastics is only expected to intensify. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Garbage Man's Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast. <laughs>